Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 25, The Time Has Come Today. Mary, what happened this week? Donna, David, Kelly, Dylan, and Brandon are going to Mammoth to go skiing and want Brenda to come. Brenda says she can't because she's grounded, or more specifically, trying to prove to Cindy and Jim that she can make good choices. Brandon gets mad at Brenda for making him lie to their friends instead of just telling them she doesn't want to go skiing. Brenda complains about the window seat in her room being all warped. She investigates and underneath some loose boards, she finds treasure, an orange bandana, a peace sign necklace, and a precious moments diary. In the late 1960s, Wendy, played by Brenda, and her family, played by the rest of the Walshes, lived in this house and did 1960s things. For Jim and Brandon, a.k.a. Dr. Edwards and Will, that meant hating communists and supporting the Vietnam War. For Cindy, Pippa, that means intently watching commercials over TV dinners. And for Wendy, it basically just meant being Brenda but back in time. <laughs> Steve is Ronnie and looks ridiculous. David is Seth and honestly mustache glasses mullet really works on him. Donna is Marianne and is basically the same as Donna. Kelly is Michelle and is different from Kelly. And Dylan is Peter. This group is young, cool, and against the war, except Will, who thinks it's winnable. Will is flabbergasted when he finds out Wendy was collecting signatures for Bobby Kennedy at a Simon and Garfunkel concert. Sal, the owner of the Peach Pit, played by Nat, kicks the group out for hating America or something. I mean, seriously, like, this this episode was like a fever dream, right? Yeah. It could have easily just been like Brenda hopped up on cold medicine instead of just finding a random diary. It it was so fascinating to me. It feels like this episode may be the perfect 90210 episode. Like it's directed by Jason Priestley. It's written by Charles Rosen. It is so self-aware that like I lost my mind. I was just like, this is a treat. I need to rewatch this episode. I will say too, to that point, it's like I kept finding myself going like, like today, you know, like throughout the whole 60s stuff. I'm like, oh my yeah. God, that's exactly like today, like stuff like that. And now reflecting on the title, the time has come today. It's like, yeah. And and I've always read or heard or, or whatever that like, what really allows content to kind of stay in the test of time is being relatable throughout no matter what era it is. And so mm -hmm. I think it did a good job of showing from 60s to 90s and then 90s now to where we are, which is crazy. Which is which is actually like a 30-year jump each time, right? Yeah. Like, I think 69 to 94, they say, is 25 years. And then 94 to 2021 would be like 27 years, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it <laughs> – there was a point where it first starts where Brenda first finds the diary and is like first reading it in the voiceover where I was like, this is a thousand percent what – adults think teens write in their diaries like it's one of those times where everything in this episode was just like a real solid reminder that this writer's room was teens in the 60s and so like you have full-grown adults trying to write as teens 
But then as it kept going, like you said, I was like, this is really relatable and it's really Mm -hmm. weird to me. And I almost think it's more relatable now that we're older watching it rather than being a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old watching it. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I mean, I tend to find myself, you know, relating more to things or catching things that I didn't notice when I rewatch stuff that I watched more when I was younger. But I feel like especially here, which again, the writers were probably around our age. So this would be like if we were trying to write an episode as teenagers, like, yeah, which is also kind of a mind fuck a little bit. Cause I'm like shitting on these writers who are adults trying to write like teenagers. But at the same time, like we would do the exact same thing. That's like, I seriously, I finished this episode and I was like, I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) I know. This feels like a fever dream. Yeah, it really does. It that kind of feeling was definitely emphasized with the fact that the person writing the diary like had foreshadowed things that would happen later. It's like this would be significant later. It's like how do you know it's not later yet? (laughs) (laughs) True, 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 true. No, it like it's wild and. I will say I so every time, you know, we watch an episode, I googled 90210 and then the name of the episode to like see, you know, a blog said if there's any old articles from like Variety or anything mm-hmm. that I could find and there was an article from Deadspin that like wasn't in the 90s. It was in like the mid 2000s, but it called it like the worst episode of 90210 ever. This is not the worst episode of 90210. This I'm serious. This is probably the most amazing episode of 90210 ever. I don't know if I'd go that far, <laughs> but like, I definitely wouldn't call it the worst. Like, we've definitely watched other episodes that are way worse for a lot of reasons. So, yeah. I mean, and out of 300 plus episodes, like, I feel like there's definitely worse ones than this. Definitely. And I guess. Part of what I like so much about this episode is it kind of fits one of those like quote unquote filler episodes where like we're just getting really introspective with Brenda and like starting to understand things with her character that will develop through, you know, this last bit that she's on the show. And it's also kind of doing a whole recap for us of just like, just a reminder, these are, these are the characters. Mm -hmm. Like. It's they're all very caricaturized. Like Brandon is not gonna go join the ROTC, but like, right? He's also the moral high ground. Sure, but anyway, we can just jump right into it. The ver- so when the show originally aired, I saw this on one of the blogs. Apparently, when it originally aired, you were supposed to see like an intro with footage from Woodstock. Hmm. But they had to take it out because of, you know, copyright and royalties and whatnot. So we cut straight into the peach pit where Steve and David are at the jukebox complaining about the music on the jukebox. Right. And that is standing right behind them, hearing everything that Steve's saying. And Steve is basically saying, David, you tell Nat, you tell Nat that this sucked, like da-da-da-da-da, which is kind of pointless. But I think it's just to introduce, like, the jukebox being a staple of the peach pit because as we recognize later the jukebox is still at the peach pit um or was always at the peach pit and i think it would have made more sense if it opened on woodstock to say like 
you know, this is what we're getting into because, you know, they also I checked the original music in this episode and they had some great music in this episode and I don't think we get any of it. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, there were like 10 songs in this episode. I think I only mentioned one because like in one of the flashbacks, uh, Peter, I think, puts on a song on the jukebox and Sal kicks them out. Mm -hmm. And without having the song in the episode, it made no sense to me. Right. Like it just seemed like a random outburst. Yeah, because he was like, take the record. I don't even want it in the jukebox anymore. And I was Mm -hmm. like – it's royalty-free music. What are you mad about? Yeah. yeah, I do think, yeah, this would have been, out of all the episodes, this would have been the one to be able to, like, see what the actual original music was. And I was actually thinking about it because I just finished watching this show that only had one season. It was on Amazon called Good Girls Revolt, and it takes place entirely in the 60s. And there's, like, this cute little scene where, this guy is saying, oh, I'm going to go to a concert tonight and asking this girl to go with him. And she's like, oh, who is it? And then he was like, oh, I think this like new band, this fresh band, I think they're really going to hit it. And it was like the Allman Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think they're going to do fine. But that show had such incredible music because it was all in the 60s. So yeah, that's kind of a bummer we didn't get to hear that. Yeah. And I mean, like, I really think this episode would have hit differently if we could actually hear all of this stuff. For sure. For sure. Uh, And I literally – I didn't write down when any of the other music cues were. But I did notice while they're all standing in front of the jukebox that Brandon's shirt is back up on the wall. Oh, it is? Oh, I didn't notice that. That's a good catch. Yeah. I thought for a minute. I was like, do you think he put it back? Do you think (laughs) he washed it before he put it back? I hope so. And yeah, he, he definitely put it back up there. Dylan and Nat are like over in one of the booths going over the finances and Brandon's just walking in with a giant framed shirt like oh hey guys don't mind me just Mm -hmm. putting this decor back on the wall you know that spot on the wall just it needed something there and I had the perfect idea (laughs) like I would just love if like he's so mad at them and before he gives his keys back he shows up in the middle of the night to put it back up and be like I'll know if they take this down Mm mm-hmm But yeah, then we kind of pan over to Donna, Brenda, and Kelly and and Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. And Donna really wants Brenda to go to Mammoth because, you know, they just went to Big Bear. Where did they go? Big Bear, yeah. They just went to Big Bear to ski, so they got to go skiing again because if you're in Southern California, what do you do? You escape the heat on every holiday. (laughs) And so... Brenda really wants, or I'm sorry, Donna really wants Brenda to go to Mammoth with Kelly and Dylan and pretty much everybody, but Brenda just wants to stay home and needs to read, and then she actually says, like, well, you know, my parents are trying to tell me I need to do better about setting limits, and this is, you know, this is kind of the start, which I, at first, bought, because to me, that's not really a punishment so much as it is, you just need to do this thing. I don't know how, I didn't define what that looks like, but you just need to set your limits better. So that seemed on par. <laughs> yeah. Like in the next scene where like Brandon, Jim, and Cindy are talking about how she's like telling people she's grounded, and Jim and Cindy are like, she's not grounded. I know. I was <laughs> like, like, I think Cindy's face like literally was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, 
weird that Brandon wouldn't know because he's constantly inserting himself into decisions for Brenda. Oh, yeah. He is parent number three for Brenda. I just, oh, I, I loved it. I love that, like, she walks in and they're like, you're not grounded, but I, I guess do you want to be? <laughs> do you think you should be? Right, like, I mean, she is essentially grounding herself, and they get all confused that she's in this mood, and I was like, well, I mean, she was just arrested and wanted by the FBI. Like, she could be going through a traumatic experience, and, like, right, literally all of her friends abandoned her. Yeah, ex- and that's still how she feels. Like, I know she and Kelly made up at the end of the last episode, but, like, she still feels probably alone and just kind of, like... Eh, I just don't really feel like being surrounded by the people that only want to hang out with me when I'm, like, fine. Yeah, and I mean, so. that's, like, you know, they – I feel like everybody made up about her and her being arrested and all that kind of stuff. But, like, she and Kelly can pretend they've made up about Dylan. I don't – that runs a lot deeper than just one conversation. Absolutely. And Brendan doesn't even, like – give Brandon a real reason as to why she doesn't want to go. She just says, like, she just doesn't want to go skiing. Like, she already did it, and she didn't really like it. She spent most of the time skiing, like, on her butt, like, all this stuff. And so then it was weird because all of a sudden Brandon went half Brandon here, and he got all high and mighty about Brenda wanting to lie about why she isn't going. It was like Brenda was like, well, you can just tell them that I don't want to go. And da 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 da, and he's like, "Oh, so you want me to lie?" Like, yeah, it felt very season yeah. one, Brandon. Yeah, because you know she asks him to lie for her, and then he's like, "I don't remember exactly the lead up to it, but he says like, you 'You're always going through some stuff, Bren, and you're always going to extremes.'" Mm-hmm. And then they both acknowledge like, "Oh, I'm getting pretty tired of everything that you're doing." And I was like, "I just, I feel like getting mad at her for doing this stuff is not the right approach." Yeah, and also, like, in a sibling relationship, I feel like there's a sibling code. Like, you protect your sibling more than you want to protect – or more than you want to do something, like, a little white. Like, this is not a big lie. This is just she doesn't want to go. So Brandon could just be like, yeah, guys, it's no big deal. She just doesn't want to go. Yeah, I mean, it's it was interesting to me that Donna called him and was like, can you talk her into going? Because, like, to – one extent, I can see Donna being like, well, I just want all my friends to be here. I think it'll be really good for you to, like, be with us for the whole week. You don't have to go skiing. You can do whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then we get over to Brandon being like, I'm not going to lie for you. And he could literally just be like, she's not up to going. Right. Which isn't a lie. Mm-mm. Uh, yeah. But- it was just kind of weird that it all of a sudden was just, like, zero to about mm, eight and a half-ish. Yeah, I guess they had to, like, lead us up to it because Brandon as Will Mm -hmm. is, like, 20 times Brandon. Oh, yeah, 100%. They couldn't just go, like, zero to, like, a million. (laughs) Yeah. They were like, we're going to give you a taste of, like, what Brenda's going through, and then we're going to show you Will. And you're going to be like, oh, my God, that's so harsh. Why couldn't he be more like Brandon? Right, right, right. But then he eventually leaves, like, assume so, and they had start going to Mammoth, I guess, because then we get to the next morning or the next day, and Brenda comes downstairs, and that's when Cindy asked her to go to the Rose Bowl with her to go to the swap meet, 
And Brenda's like, no, I'm good. I just kind of want to relax. And then it was here where she was like putting on her shoes and she finds a loose board on the bench. And she just decides to tear the whole bench apart. She's like, oh, screw this one little panel. I'm taking the whole thing apart. (laughs) As someone currently tearing up their entire island in Animal Crossing, I understand what Brenda's going through. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to do a little renovation. But yeah, when she does pry it open, she finds like an old bandana a peace sign necklace because they just had to really solidify what era they were going to. <laughs> I know. They didn't want us to guess at all. Uh, but then, like Mary said, it, I also noticed it was a Precious Moments diary. And I was like, that's adorable. But also, <laughs> if you were a college student or however old she was and you still have a Precious Moments diary, that must have meant a lot to you or something. <laughs> But yeah, so she finds a diary, and all I could think of as soon as I knew it was a diary was, at first I did not know it was your diary. I thought it was a sad, sad handwritten book. Oh my god. I love it me so much. Yeah. So, that's what I thought of. (laughs) I just really loved, like, everything about this one scene. Like, she opens it, she starts reading, like I said, like, this a thousand percent sounds like what adults think that you write in your diary. Dear diary. (laughs) (laughs) But then like the cherry on top of this scene is Cindy coming upstairs to say that they're leaving. And Brenda's like, mom, you'll never believe what just happened to me. And then Jim honks the horn and Cindy's like, bye. (laughs) I know. She just leaves. Like you really badly wanted her to be like, get in loser. We're going shopping. But like instead (laughs) Jim was really impatient. And so she's like, "Never mind, Bye. (laughs) Yeah, she could literally have just been like, what is it, Brenda? Or like, you'll have to show me when we get home. Right, right. But like, she doesn't even acknowledge. She's like, Mom, guess what I found? Bye, Brenda. (laughs) It's so perfect. It was very much like when you're on the phone with your mom. I don't know if you've ever, you guys have ever had this experience with your mom. I haven't in the goodbye part of the phone conversation, but like usually somewhere in the middle where you're like in the middle of telling a story and you've ended telling your story and you're waiting for a reaction from your mom and it's like silent for a little too long and then like four seconds later she's like well cool (laughs) (laughs) it's like mom I know you weren't listening but I don't want to retell that entire story so I'm just gonna say yeah and we'll move on (laughs) oh my god that literally happened to me today when I called my mom to say happy easter so real (laughs) so real but But yeah so because of this though cindy leaves and then brenda's left to read the diary and now we get these amazing flashbacks in the late 60s and we have at least for now all four walshes as the characters and like it's it's so good because this is where I think they were being really aware of themselves because they make the antithesis of the Walshes all sitting with their TV dinners in front of the TV because, like, Cindy would never. No. Uh-uh. Like, they probably have TV dinners in the freezer. I think we've seen Brenda open one in, like, season one. Mm-hmm. But, like, Cindy would never. Cindy Cindy makes her own TV dinners. Right. Exactly. She, is, she has discovered how to make microwave meals. <laughs> And also, with all of them sitting the way they were and, like, the way they all looked, this felt very Matilda to me. 
Yeah. It did. Right? Yeah. right? They have they have the like TV zombie family and like the brother's super into it and like mm-hmm. the parents are super into it. And then she's just like curled up in an armchair being like, I don't wanna watch this. I wanna go do whatever. Yeah. And it's like I think she when she's even reading the diary. Wendy is her name, right? Yeah. Okay. She even says, like, most of what happens is they watch the TV, they watch coverage of the Vietnam War, but they're all silent until Will comes up with some opinion, or or until she asks a question, Will answers it, and then their dad just gangs up on her. So it's Mm -hmm. like, even if she were to break the silence, she can't because she's just going to get, like, yelled at by an opinion that she may or may not agree with yeah because this is the first quote that i wrote down in the episode for the flashbacks of will as brandon just going the communists have definitely infiltrated the anti-war movement i was like oh my god this is weirdly too on brand for current day politics and then i I know it's like just move on I don't know. The have time whole for this. thing. The whole thing. The whole thing. It's so funny though, because like I was watching this interview for another show that I watched, and it was like talking about sometimes having to multitask in a scene, and you use the cadence of the whatever's in your script to kind of help with the flow. So it's like as you're like, for example, if you're like dancing and you have to remember the choreography, but you're speaking at the same time, it kind of helps to like you know, put the steps with the cadence of the the words. And when you just said it like that is kind of how he said it. It just made me think like, what if he had to be like multitasking while doing that? Because it was that very kind of flowy, like up and down way to say it. And that's just a complete tangent side note that I just noticed. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) But like, I bet he did. I bet you're right. Because I mean, he was directing this episode. So he Mm -hmm. probably had there are things in his head going on right now of like this needs to happen this lighting cue needs to happen blah 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 now I can speak true that's a good point it's a good point yeah um then I think the next thing I have written is March 31st which I feel like maybe Brenda was skipping around did I miss anything in between January 2nd when she goes to the peach pit and March 31st when we meet Peter. I have no idea. I didn't write down dates. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the only other date I wrote down. Huh. I like don't even know. <laughs> yeah, well, because the only reason I wrote this date down was I was like, this feels like me writing a diary like January 2nd and then I don't touch the diary for three weeks until a boy comes into my life and then you like apologize to the diary as if it has feelings yes (laughs) always sorry I haven't written in a while (laughs) (laughs) this is like any diary I had as a child would have like three entries and it would be my first entry being like I'm gonna write in you every day and then the next one be like sorry it's been six months and the third one being like I'm not good at this (laughs) and then nothing and then nothing. No, for sure. But yeah, so I guess like that next date is when things happen again. And, you know, we hear the doorbell ring and it's Dylan, but not Dylan. It's Peter. Um, and that wig and mustache really makes him look like a child molester. So, right. I mean, he's 35 years old playing a teenager and then they gave him this hair. And right. I was, no, this is not good. Like, 
I don't remember Jim's 1969 name, so I just wrote not Jim keeps calling not Dylan a crumb bum. Yes. And I was like, okay, but he is. I should have counted the number of times that crumb bum was used. I think it was at least four. It was like at six. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what crumb bum means. I looked it up and I think it's just like name calling. Yeah. Like I didn't see anything interesting for He's it. He's a who's it, what's it. <laughs> but like I love when he shows up and Jim is just like, I told you that boy's not allowed in the house. <laughs> and Wendy's like, he's not in the house. He's outside. <laughs> but they decide this is where they went to get signatures at the Simon and Garfunkel concert. And then later they'll show up at the Peach Pit where I don't remember Steve's 1969 name because I just focused on the hair. Mm-hmm. It's Ronnie, I think. Ronnie. And then David is Seth, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ronnie and Seth are sitting at the counter. Will is working at the working. Peach Pit, mm-hmm. much like Brandon does. And then Nat is playing Sal and that accent. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was dying. It made me feel like the actor who plays Nat isn't actually Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you say that? It was perfect. <laughs> I, I just feel very, like, cautious saying that because I don't want to, like, <laughs> offend him. <laughs> Which, because it's like, that's like, you know, when people say like, you're in America, speak American and that bullshit or whatever. So it's like, I feel bad for telling somebody that I don't have that origin of like, you're not a good enough Italian or something. He was hamming it up so much. Every time he was like, capish? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, okay, Uncle Jesse. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Oh my God. But like, that's the thing. This is where it makes me think they were aware of what they were doing and they were like just ham it up like Nat's a character you want to be five times that character exactly yeah no that makes sense but then like literally everyone is just themselves because Ronnie is talking to Seth when Mary Marianne Mm -hmm. and Michelle come in is that Donna's name yep I'm like really proud of myself right now (laughs) but Ronnie and Seth are talking when Marianne and Michelle come in about like how much Seth is in love with Marianne and Ronnie Steve. It's just Steve. He's and I Steve quote, with different lingo. I, I quote, we're living in a sexual revolution here, big guys. Chicks dig it almost as much as guys do. You just have to help them get in the right frame of mind. Just like. Kind of coercive and, like, a little bit wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's where we are with Steve, so. Gosh. I didn't spend a lot of time on Ronnie and Seth just because, yeah, it was the David and Steve story over and over again, just in a different decade. Yeah. The the main reason, so I wrote that down because I was like, well, that's disgusting, but it's really on brand with what they keep doing with Steve of like, we want to like Steve, but then they're like, oh, he's a little rapey. Like, yeah. they're just really creepy about it. And then he tells him, he tells Seth to go ask Marianne what her sign is, which I loved because he goes and asks and she actually shows him the <laughs> signs that she's carrying. 
which are also amazing. The sign she's holding says war is not healthy for children and other living things, which true. So true. Very wordy for a sign. I also just like have to believe that Tori Spelling had a hand in this. Like it's either she just delivers it really, really well or she helps with like maybe like a little improv or a little bit because like it's so Donna and I know she's playing Marianne, but it's so Donna. That's I, I think it's a little of both. I think they know they can give her Tori spelling these lines mm-hmm. and she'll pull it off. I mean, remember, say goodnight, Donna. Goodnight, Donna. <laughs> yeah. We'll never forget that. She's perfect. She's just like, without missing a beat, here is my sign. Right. Oh, yeah. I can. It's not a double meaning. I'm literally holding a sign. What else could you possibly mean? <laughs> I love her so much. But then... Yep. Uh, Wendy and Peter show up, which, like, we're not even trying. Wendy and Peter. (laughs) Yep. But Wendy and Peter show up, and Will is, like, I don't remember exactly what happens. He comes and he's like, I can't believe you're getting those signatures. I can't believe you want Bobby Kennedy to end the war. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and he like finds out that yeah, it's like he wasn't he was fine or whatever until he realized that Wendy wanted to vote for Bobby Kennedy, and he just inherently hates Peter. Yeah, and like this is where, th- so they put on, for what it's worth, by Buffalo Springfield. Now that we hear it, right, and it's apparently on the jukebox. So I don't know why Sal is so angry about it, but like. He gets really pissy at them for having any sort of this political conversation about ending the war, for putting on the hippie music. He just starts yelling and is like, you have to leave. You're not welcome here. Like, get out. I think this is where they talk about boycotting the peach pit. Mm-hmm. But then it got really confusing to me because this is where Wendy is talking to Will and is like, I'm so sorry. Please don't tell mom and dad. But like, what what did she do? I think about Bobby Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, I guess I get it. Don't tell dad I hate war. (laughs) Right? Like, it just, it was so weird to me. So I was like, why are you apologizing? Like, I don't know. It was definitely that whole thing of being like, I have a different opinion than the rest of my family. So rather than trying to like, make a whole to-do about it. I just kind of want to avoid the conflict whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, you know, kind of on par with what's happening with Brenda where she was, like, protesting for animal rights and then, you know, it got away from her. Wendy is, you know, getting signatures to try and end the Vietnam War and that gets away from her. That feels a really a really weird thing to say. It's like she's trying to end a war and things got out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. That's just weird to say. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the night of the California primary? Yeah. So after voting in the primary, the group gets together to party at a park, as you do. Somebody's like, hey, let's smoke weed. And everyone's like, yes, but not Wendy. Peter tries to pressure her to stay and try it. She doesn't even have to inhale. But Wendy says, no, thanks. Oh, also, there's this whole Dylan Kelly Brenda thing happening, but it's a Peter Michelle Wendy thing, if that makes sense. Anyway, Wendy leaves and Marianne shows up to tell her that Robert Kennedy has been shot. 
So I just want to point out the whole conversation about smoking weed was the wildest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like Peter is just like, oh, this tree has been here forever. It could tell us so many things. And Ronnie is just like, that's a sycamore tree. No, it hasn't. (laughs) And then some random is like, we should strip the bark and smoke it. Like two random people are like, hey, let's get high. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I Wild to me that not Kelly slash Michelle, like, turns out to be such a, like, drug user in this oh, whole yeah. thing. That's wild. That's, yeah, it's it's far out. Um, uh, it would be trippy, yeah. she says. It's it's just weird because like Kelly has kind of had a substance problem and it's like, oh shit, is this foreshadowing? I hope not. But like at the same time, every other character has been some sort of caricature of who they actually are. So it's like crap. Right? I was like, I I had a lot of feelings about Kelly slash Michelle and her drug use. And like mm-hmm. some of it was just like, it feels very clear to me that I I feel like there were some studio notes thrown in at some point or maybe like preemptive things on studio notes with like Brenda making these comments of like, I'm not going to smoke it, not even just one uh, hit because what she's like, she's going to spaz out or, you know, essentially something like that. Yeah. uh, Peter being like, you just, you just take one hit. That's all I'm going to do. You don't even have to inhale. Like peer pressure drugs are bad don't do drugs which and maybe i'm just a square but i never really (laughs) understood peer pressure like don't get me wrong i've been peer pressured but i guess i just maybe this is just the wisdom of being 30 but it's like (laughs) if someone doesn't want to do something that's really not a big deal well And, like, I don't know if y'all heard, at the very beginning, the very first flashback into 1969, one of the commercials is an anti-drug commercial that they Mm -hmm. hear on TV. You can see it in the subtitles. You can, like, barely hear it, but you can see in the subtitles that it is an anti-drug ad. That's interesting. I mean, and it was a whole thing of, like, you know, spoiler alert for the rest of the episode, Michelle takes one puff of marijuana and then later gets like hooked on LSD and is tripping all the time and then later dies. Mm-hmm. Like, like not this that is long defi- from now. Yeah, this is definitely like, you know, side note, don't do drugs. Right, right. Which, yeah, don't do drugs. I mean, yeah, totally fair. Don't do drugs. I don't think, you know, taking one hit of a joint is going to lead you to heroin necessarily. Like, you were going to probably – if you were a person that was going to get to heroin, I don't think one hit off a joint was going to get you. I don't know. It's a whole yeah, thing. It's a whole thing. Nate and I were actually talking about that today, about like how you go from like kind of harmless, tame drugs that don't really alter you that much to stuff that like you can definitely tell if you like a certain reaction. Like because we were talking about how when I had my wisdom teeth out, and I was prescribed some, like, strong painkillers, I couldn't even take a half of one, and I was supposed to take two whole ones. And I felt, like, dizzy and queasy and stuff, and I hated that feeling. 
And I was like, I can't, I'll just do ibuprofen. Like I can't, I can't. So I was like, okay, I know for sure I'm never going to be addicted to like painkillers because I just hated the way it made me feel. And Nate was like, well, yeah, because your reaction to it is different than others. So like you felt dizzy and nauseous. They probably feel like, you know, a lot more weightless and just like, you know, like less cloudy and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. But it's just so interesting, you know, how you react to certain things. But then it can lead to the hard stuff as opposed to just kind of the tame stuff that just doesn't really alter you that much. I don't know. Yeah, it's a whole thing, like you said. I I said this to Mary earlier. I don't know if you ever read the book Go Ask Alice, Caitlin. Mm -mm. So Go Ask Alice is a fake diary. And it is about a teenager named Alice in the 70s who, like, goes to a party. I don't remember what they call it. Um, It was Button Button who's got the button and, like – That was it. They have, like, a whole bunch of cups with, like, soda in them and one of them has a tab of acid in it. And whoever gets it, like, has a good time and everyone else just sits there, I guess. And then, (laughs) like – this seriously this is a whole diary written by some woman it is completely fake and i think like she gets the acid in this one thing and then over like the next six months in this diary like her entire life spirals out of control she leaves her family she gets like an eating disorder she moves to san francisco like horrible things happen um like i don't know something about like these two men did drugs and they had sex with each other and being homosexual is bad. So I had to run back to my parents. And then she like quits all the drugs, decides to get really into Jesus, but she starts having drug flashbacks and just ends up dying. Oh my gosh. It's wild. I forgot so much of that book. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember when I found my copy. It's got to be long gone by now because my parents have moved, you know, and I don't have it with me, but like, you can read it in one sitting. It's like an hour long and it is the most insane like journey you will ever go on. It's totally fake. And like, I think when I first read it as a teenager, I didn't think it was fake. And then reading it as an adult, I was like, I really should have known that this <laughs> was very clearly a ruse. But everything that happens to Kelly in this episode, I was like, this is Alice. Mm. This is all Alice. Yep. yep. But yeah, then we go back to present day. Do we want to talk about that a little bit? Um, I have like a paragraph. We'll see if uh, that works. In the present, Brenda <laughs> – Okay. Sorry. In the present, Brenda shows the diary to Andrea who flips – to the end to find a code brenda's like hey no spoilers but the point about this whole scene is brenda wants to find the owner of the diary and return it also brenda cries in the dark over dylan and freaks out her parents she shares the anti-war rally part with her parents and they're like yep that's how we remember it brenda goes to the library and a nice librarian helps her find wendy edwards last known address i really summarized no that's great that's perfect. Like, I really loved the part where Brenda shows up at the Peach Pit and is like telling them everything and basically just like IMDb's Nat. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wrote two notes about the Peach Pit. One was that 
And one was that Andrea tells Brenda that she can track Wendy down through the registrar's office. And then Brenda's like, no, I'm going to the library. Which, like, yeah, I couldn't figure out why that also wouldn't be helpful. She just, like, completely shuts it down. She's just like, no, instead I'm going to go to the library and do the digging on my own. I want to do this the hard way. (laughs) And then they end up not being able to find the yearbooks. And the librarian goes to the registrar anyway, essentially. She goes to the alumni house. Exactly. And it's like, she, yeah, she has to get the physical copy or like try to get the physical copy because they haven't transferred it to microfilm yet. And then we basically get the, um, the librarian lady ends up saying that she was young or she was in junior high during like that time period. But she remembered hearing about the great hippie bee in on the quad which i'm like as a junior high student high school student how would you have heard about that unless you had an older sibling i guess right the the librarian might be my favorite character that we will probably never see again because like she shows up after brenda's been asking this and she's like it's just what i thought you know we don't have everything on microfilm like you said you'll have to go up to the sixth floor and then brenda starts asking if anybody ever took gap years because she's trying to figure out what year wendy graduated which like I see some foreshadowing. I definitely mm-hmm. see Brenda, like, dropping out of college, right? And when she says this kind of thing, the librarian looks at her and is like, turn on, tune in, and drop out. And I was like, I mean, okay, that's, like, an actual saying, but what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. And then I knew that came from Timothy Leary, who is, like, a man who loved acid. So, like, another weird thing of this episode where I was like, it's really weird that they're just bringing him into it. But totally unrelated fun fact that has nothing to do with anything. Timothy Leary was alive when this episode aired. So I really wonder if he knew about it. Oh, man. It's just like, like, he was this, like, hippie activist that, like, really advocated for drug use and, you know, like, living in this certain lifestyle. And then you find out that... Fox has a TV show that is talking about you, I'd be like, what? (laughs) And also, where's my money? (laughs) Like, I just, I had a moment. And like, he lived in Beverly Hills at this time. So I was just like, what kind of world? Like, I'm just imagining Brenda, like going and talking to people that were alive in the 60s. And somehow Timothy Leary ends up on Beverly Hills 90210, (laughs) which has been wild. Full episode though, I, it's it is something, and especially like it. this part too because we get the flashback to the great hippie B N I guess, and we see hippie Andrea just like chilling, doing the just most pregnant 60s. and waving around. Yeah, the most sixties thing. She's got to have the sunglasses, the like headband, and her two piece signs, just like dancing to nothing. <laughs> and Brenda basically, or not Brenda. Sorry, it's not Brenda. It's Wendy. She says she's not cut out to be a hippie, but she really enjoyed the BN. Um, and I found something interesting here. She is jealous of Michelle, which again is a parallel to Brenda always being jealous of Kelly. Um, and if we couldn't get more on Brand, Brandon is in, not Brandon, <laughs> Will, Will is in the ROTC, which just makes me think of the task force. <laughs> it's so perfect like 
Okay. Before the actual scene takes place, I don't remember exactly what she says, but when Brenda's reading Wendy's diary entry, she mentions something of like, the bee-in was great, especially if you're a dog. Yeah. Like, Why? It just what? shows a random like bulldog or something or a French bulldog or something. And it's like, uh. <laughs> yeah, it showed like a happy dog on a picnic blanket and then a happier dog catching a frisbee. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who knows? Why? (laughs) But then, yeah, like, the most, like, caricaturized, on-brand thing that Brandon could do, he shows up in his ROTC uniform to a hippie fest and then marches on stage, takes the mic from Peter, and then, like, literally just paralleling what happened last episode, they start yelling at each other and, like, Dylan saying he's been Peter is saying he's been brainwashed by the military industrial complex. And then they start like pushing each other and like basically getting to a fight, but it's broken up because Michelle is like tripping and overwhelmed, I guess is what we're supposed to get to. Yeah. She just like interferes and it's enough to distract um, Peter from the whole thing because, but not before, uh, Peter calls Will a fascist and Will calls Peter a traitor. And then they just like go their separate ways. But it's like, yeah, Will just like pipes up to the microphones like, do you believe in the constitution of this here United States? It's like, oh my God. Again, not the same like type of conflict we're having right now. But I've heard those words before. (laughs) But, like, very close. And, like, saying fascist and traitor and being brainwashed by the military-industrial complex. Like, all of these things are words that we still use and phrases. And I was like, oh, my God. Yep. The only difference between then and now is that those two people having the argument would not have gone their separate ways. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But then, yeah, they just, like, split up, I guess, like, you know – Either the be-in keeps happening or it doesn't, whatever. We don't know because the next thing we find out is that Wendy, Peter, and Michelle, at least, went to go see 2001 A Space Odyssey and, like, loved Wendy going into the peach pit and being like, you know, hey, and Will's like, how was 2001? And she goes, a space odyssey. (laughs) I know. It's like they couldn't say the full title of the film, so they had to work it in somehow. And they did, and it was great. Well, and, like, they keep using lyrics and song titles and whatnot as lines. Uh Uh-huh. Which is, again, like, this tells me they're so self-aware. Right. Because, like, later, Dylan, Peter, uses lyrics when he's talking to Wendy. Because basically the reason they went to the Peach Pit is they went to go see 2001 A Space Odyssey and Michelle flipped out at the movie and they had to leave, at which point Wendy reveals that Michelle took acid. And Will, like, flips his shit and is just like, why didn't you take her to the emergency room? And then asks, what are they going to do, Will? <laughs> oh, my God. No. And then he's like, he gets so mad about, like, did she get the drugs from Peter? Did you take any drugs? And, like, first of all, sir, you're looking straight in her face. You would know if she was on drugs. True. True, like, true, true. Her pupils would be the size of dinner plates. You would know. Mm-hmm. But then he says, 
that they can bring her into the peach pit. He'll give her some food and he'll calm her down and all of these things. And I was like, I swear to God, if I was ever on drugs and someone left me alone with Will, I would scream. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would have a full-blown panic attack and it wouldn't be because of all the drugs I had. I no, it would can't... be like the fluorescent lighting in an empty restaurant and Brandon's face in your face feeding you a milkshake. That would just be like the most uncomfortable place in the entire world on drugs. And like, yeah, knowing that this man is like so into the military and so against drugs, like you know he's going to give you a sermon. He's never going to stop talking and like all you wanted was to drink a milkshake probably in a dark area. Probably. Like, I want to sit in this van wrapped in a blanket with my little milkshake and I just want to chill out. <laughs> That's all I want. And then they're like, no, here's Will. <laughs> I guess the only thing I can think is a saving grace is like she has access to a lot of food because they – Wendy points out here that like Will hasn't had a crush on her, on Michelle, forever. So maybe he'll just do whatever she says. Yeah, I mean, maybe he won't be the worst, but I have no evidence to say that he wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. But like while she's at the peach pit, uh, Wendy and Peter go off in his VW bus to make out. And like, oh my God, this whole scene, because then they keep talking about how Michelle OD'd and I was like, I don't. I don't think she OD'd. I don't think you know the the meaning of OD. Yeah, like if she OD'd, she would need to be in the hospital. But she yeah. just had a lot and is having a bad experience. Yeah, she's just having a bad trip. She should not have gone to see 2001. <laughs> exactly. This is where they speak the lines where, like, Brenda's just like, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Yeah, and, like, Peter Dillon is, like, all aggressively making out using a weird high-pitched voice and like totally leaning into the whole like it's whatever man I don't even like monogamy like monogamy is just whatever you know I don't really care for that and like yeah yeah it was just a whole thing and it got really weird and it was like not great and then for some reason this is supposed to be like and this is when I lost the love of my life and I was like I don't get it right but yeah, because this is where we like skip back to present day and Jim and Cindy come in from the swap meet and they've bought a vase and they're just talking about the vase. And they're like, oh, it's really dark. Brenda's probably not here. And then they go upstairs and see Brenda in her room crying and talking about Wendy. And they're just like, what is happening? <laughs> Which, by the way, they would know. If they didn't just dip out this morning rather than listening to, like, what did you find, Brenda? Mm hmm. But also, think this was like when Brenda, like, gets all in her feelings because of what she just read. And she's like, the whole reason they are like, what the hell is she doing is because she's crying and she's like, I still love Dylan. And that's why she didn't go with them to Mammoth. And then she mentions Wendy. And that's like, when she says Wendy, they're like, uh, have you lost your mind? Which. I'm sorry, Cindy, when you came in in the morning and Brenda had been, like, ripping pieces of wood out of her bench, maybe should have questioned it then. Maybe should have questioned it before when she's lying to people and saying that she's grounded rather than hang out with them. Like, mm -hmm. maybe skip the swap meet this week. You didn't need the vase. 
anyway, I think I think the next thing we see is May of 1969. Sounds right. Is that Seth? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I should have written the dates. <laughs> Literally, that like after this, I never write dates again. Okay. Seth gets advice from Ronnie on how to get Marianne to sleep with him from asking her about her sign to unplugging his clock so they don't know what time it is. Somehow it works out for him. Seth and Marianne bang only never to speak to each other again. Which again, I don't know how you know that when that just happened today. <laughs> I like, seriously, this this whole thing is wild. I just, I love how much... Because, you know, at the end of the episode, Brenda sees pictures of all these people and is like, this is not how I pictured any of them. She's already seen a picture of Sal and realized that, like, oh, I'm putting my friends into these people's lives and, like, you know, just feeling my emotions about them because Seth and Ronnie are talking about how Seth writes rap and is horny. And I was like, it's the 60s. I don't think white boys knew what rap was. Again, they were just trying too hard to make these characters the same, but also present in the decade. Yeah. So it wasn't always great. <laughs> well, and like, yeah, he's obsessed with music again, too, because he really wants Marianne to sleep with him. So he like takes her to this concert and then, yeah, totally manipulates her to get her into bed and, like, this is – I don't like what they did with Seth and Ronnie making them Steve and David because, like, now I'm going to have in my mind that, you know, at least Brenda thinks David would go to the lengths of unplugging his clock radio to make – to disorient Donna so she loses track of time, then tell her she can't leave or she'll get kicked out of school – and then having sex with her and never calling her again. Like, that's in my mind now. It can't go away. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. That's the risk you take when you, like, don't hire other actors to be the other characters. It's like, now you're building a story or building a framework for who these characters actually are. Which, yeah. I I wonder if they even thought about it. Because the two people that talk about doing the drugs at the uh, primary, like, bonfire party thing were not in the friend group. They were just some random people being like, hey, I have drugs. Let's take them. Right. Right. So like drugs, totally off limits. Sex, sure get a little rapey. Why not? Yeah. I didn't – that was my least favorite part of the whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Seth was a waste of a fake mustache and glasses. Poor Steve. S poor Steve. I just – I love that sweet boy so much, and they hate him. They don't want us to love him. Yeah. All right. Um, do you guys want to talk about the protest? Yeah. Will wants Wendy to go to his graduation instead of her anti-war rally. He's upset that they can't even parade around campus because of it, and he even breaks the TV in a fit of anger. Wendy gets yelled at for it. Wendy ends up going to the rally and is arrested for trespassing and resisting arrest when the cops show up and just start hitting people. 
The charges were dropped, but just because of all that mess, she didn't get to say goodbye to her brother, who immediately left for war. It's okay, though. He wrote her a letter. Okay. The whole scene of them in the living room where Will is just yelling at her and then is like, I don't remember the question. (laughs) If we could just take that line and just like, if we ever needed to give somebody like an elevator pitch on who each character is, use that for Brandon. Right. And this is, again, this is where I'm positive they know what they're doing because he is just yelling at her and being like this moral like, you know, we're fighting the good fight. We got to do this thing to serve our country, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember what you were yelling at me about. And then he gets so passionate about what he does. He breaks the TV and storms out. And Cindy's just like, I was watching that. Yeah. Again, the Walsh parents or whoever the last name of these parents are don't know how to punish their children. Except Jim yells at Brenda for what Brandon did. Like, they know. They know we know. Yeah. He was literally like, you see what you made your brother do? (laughs) They know that we know that they know. But maybe they don't know that we know they know we know. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's amazing. And then, like, you know... Brenda reading everything that Wendy says about the protest, like, so in present day, Brenda goes to take a bath because she's been so upset. Cindy's like, take a bath, calm down, like maybe use some bubble bath, you know, whatever. And then Brenda wants to read them this passage about the protest. Um, And she talks about how the protest ended up going inside. They like kind of forced their way into the administration building. Everyone's acting really wild. They're like, burning giant versions of draft cards and Brenda's just convinced that they're all going to get their heads bashed in. Yeah, because it was like, it was going to be a peaceful rally and it turned violent because we don't know exactly why. We don't know exactly who started what. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. But we do see like, not Dylan, Peter, just like, talking to Wendy and all that and his back is like turned and then all of a sudden you see him get clubbed with um the stick thing the baton baton that's it and then yeah cuz yeah go ahead i would, the only other thing i remember from like when everyone's really kind of trying to escape and like she's like oh i have to find peter is michelle comes up to her and is just like are you holding like, I yeah. need drugs. Like, oh my god. It's like, yes, we get it. You're addicted to drugs. Also, did you notice that Sean was Uncle Sam? What? Was yeah. that really Deshaun? Yeah, it was. I couldn't tell because of the beard, but he was like my favorite part of that um, next to the guy in the pig mask and riot gear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, that was oh really they they hired Deshaun or um Cress Williams for an entire day just so he could just play for the, that. just so he could play Deshaun as well just Uncle Sam. Yeah. That that is money well spent. <laughs> oh my gosh. That makes me so happy. Yep. It was it was it was 
It was a good look for him. Much better than any of the other fake hair and makeup that was actually done in the episode. <laughs> Besides Brandon slash Will's glasses, I actually liked his glasses on him. I don't know what you're talking about. I loved Seth. I hated what he did, but I loved looking at him. He was beautiful. <laughs> he could pull that off. You're right. You're right. Okay. So, like, all the boys got in wigs and, like, most of them had fake mustaches and everything. But, like, when I saw Kelly, I was like, oh, that's just Kelly. Yeah, it's Kelly. It was Kelly. Like, aside from Andrea, I feel like all the girls were just ben. them. With, like – maybe slightly different hair because Donna just like had the classic um like bewitched look to her yeah she had like much floofier Mm -hmm. hair yeah Andrea's look was my second favorite I think out of the core group god she looked awesome yeah she looked great I just really love the idea of like hippie Andrea and I also love so much that they dressed her up for that and then she never appears in the 60s scenes again it's like she like her Gabrielle Carteris and Cress Williams were like the most chill they had probably an hour or two of set time and then was probably like yeah you're good you can go (laughs) right because yeah like Andrea is not even going with them to Mammoth for skiing Mm -hmm. You know, presumably she was invited. We have no idea. Nobody ever mentions it. Nope. But yeah, she's just eating and then swaying at one point. That's it. Um, Yeah. Then, so yeah, to kind of wrap up up the protest, it was like you get kind of the look back into the present where Brenda is still reading the excerpt. She explains that Wendy gets charged with trespassing and resisting arrest, but the charges were eventually dropped. Um, and then that Will had to eventually get shipped out to Vietnam, and so she couldn't say goodbye. Which, in the present day, this is where Brenda sees a lot of the similarities in, um, between herself and Wendy because of not only just, I guess, the activism, but then almost exactly the same charges, almost exactly the same situation happens where the charges get dropped. And then obviously it stops there because, you know, Brandon is not going to war. I truly enjoyed the like present day reactions to things like Brenda finishes reading this and I swear to god Jim and Cindy are just like yep okay good night yeah they don't they don't talk about what happened and then the next morning Brenda comes down and is like I see a lot of parallels between us she got arrested I got arrested and Jim (laughs) and Cindy are just like can we not talk about that like yeah, why? Why would you bring this up to your parents ever again? I would literally never mention the time I spent a night in jail. Well, and also like I understand there's a lot like something that was very consistent among those who were in Vietnam when they came back, they did not talk about it. Like I don't know if it was a World War II thing. I'm sure it was because back then. They just didn't talk about their feelings. They didn't talk about what went on. But it just seems very consistent with, like, a lot of stuff you hear and people that went through all of that is the Vietnam War is just something you don't talk about. Like, and I think it's because it really was, like, the Vietnam War conflict. And, I mean, I'm a little too ignorant on the topic of the Vietnam War to really talk about it. But it's, like, I wonder if because it was kind of a war – a lot of people think we never should have been in, you know, so maybe those who were fighting in it didn't have as much purpose and maybe they felt like they were just 
a pawn or like somebody to be there to like potentially get killed. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I just always find it interesting that even in this episode, they portray Jim and Cindy as being at least, a, you know, the, the night scene, not the next morning, as like not really wanting to elaborate, but just acknowledging that, yeah, that was that was our experience, too. Yeah. Well, and then the next morning, you know, she Will's letter to Wendy is in the diary and, you know, she reads it. They talk about how like none of this is what he expected. He really needs some R&R. They don't think anybody is listening anymore. And like, you know, my my usual plug for therapy, a lot of this stuff is like toxic masculinity of like you can't talk about your feelings because you're a man and you're supposed to be you know, better than that. And people went through a lot of stuff, either, you know, being in Vietnam or not being in Vietnam, knowing that like their sons, their brothers, their friends, et cetera, were getting drafted and going over there. And, you know, some people didn't believe in this cause and nobody was really allowed to talk about it because how dare you have mental health problems and need to talk about your feelings? Yeah, totally. So, you know, my almost every week plug of Go to therapy. It's good for you. I love you all. Take care of yourselves. And I think, too, like, and the reason I continue to say it's, like, very consistent about the Vietnam War is because This Is Us also has a Vietnam War storyline because um, Milo, Milo Ventimiglia and uh, the person who, the actor who plays his brother, both served in the war. And I'm... I'm I know the season or the show is like five seasons in now, but I still feel bad for giving spoilers, but it's like certain character isn't around anymore. But when you do see the character, it's it's very clear. Like he does not talk about the war. never has, never will, doesn't bring it up. And then his brother um, also doesn't. And he had a completely different experience, but he still just doesn't talk about it. And it's just so interesting and sad that that's so consistent. I just, you know, it's it's just such a, there's not a lot of outliers in that story. And I find that sad. Mm. That's all I had to say. Well, yeah. And I mean, because, you know, to kind of build off of that, the next scene that we see is back to 1969 and Peter comes to the door and says, you know, they're going to go to Woodstock. But then after Woodstock, he says he thinks he's going to move to Canada because he doesn't want to get drafted to go to the war. Right. And so it's that same thing of, like, there are some pretty standard stories that surround this conflict. And, like... And actually, like, to that point, this is so interesting now because the same This Is Us stuff, like, when they were flashing back to the 60s, they also kind of centered content around the draft, which I'm pretty sure at that time, every male above the age of 18 was, like, required to be in the draft, right? Mm-hmm. And then number two is they had an, they also had a scene where they were watching the moon landing, which is crazy. And then they also had a scene talking about going to Woodstock. Like the now my mind's just kind of blown because my my shows are melding. The writers of This Is Us saw this episode of Nine or Two and and they were like, "Wait a minute, we got something here. Let's build an entire TV show around it." <laughs> Somebody get me a copy of the script. Yeah. Which it wouldn't uh, surprise me because it's Dan Fogelman and Dan Fogelman absolutely like draws on those like big heartstring moments. So wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, all right. Mary, you want to take us out for the last bit? Yep. 
Brenda goes to see. Wait, hold on. Let me make sure that's really where I am. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Good, I kind of like messed with some stuff. Brenda goes to see Wendy at her last known address and she finds her. They talk. Turns out Michelle's dead, but Wendy's son dates a girl named Michelle now. Pippa's still around. Peter writes her TV. And surprise, none of them actually look like they did in Brenda's imagination. Wendy tells Brenda to love her brother more. They make plans to meet up again, and Brenda asks about the numbers in the back of the book. Turns out those are the roads they took on their cross-country journey to Woodstock. The gang appears in the Walsh kitchen when Brenda gets back home. The ma- er, wait, not the mammoth. <laughs> <laughs> mammoth had rain, so they're going to Palm Springs instead. Brenda decides to go too, because the diary taught her something about not missing out on good times with your buddies because you're sad over a boy who's going to be there or something. I assume that's the moral. That's all I got. <laughs> I I mean, that's the thing is, like, I'm getting through the end of my notes, and I'm just like, I, I don't really have anything else to say other than Peter is a TV writer. Is he supposed to also be an insert? I mean, maybe. He's writing this episode want- right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to speculate just in case, but... And then uh, my only other comment is, once again, there's no snow and Donna can't ski. And I feel like despite the fact that they have done this at least four times now, I'm not getting tired of it. Yeah. It's like she's one for one out of four, I think, of going, of being able to ski. And apparently Donna's just like, no, I I, got to hit a quota. Like there's there's some number in her head, a magic number in her head of how many times she has to go skiing before she can't. And we've not reached that. (laughs) I'm just, I'm convinced that either like Donna gets her weather from an unreliable source or she just doesn't check it. Yeah. (laughs) Because the first time there was too much snow. The second time there was no snow. Third time, snow, I get to go skiing. Fourth time, rain, can't ski. And perhaps not cold enough to turn that rain into snow. Yeah. I just love that this trope is unique to 90210. And that they've given it to us four times and subverted it once. I like, I love it. It's four times in four seasons and I'm not tired of it. Yeah, it's like totally, Mary. Like, it's one of those tropes that you didn't expect to hang around, but are kind of glad it did because it's not bothersome. Like, it's not something that we're like super passionate or fired up about. It's like, kind of a fun thing that's like oh i wonder if other people notice this too <laughs> yeah i just i i don't get it but i love it will donna or won't donna get to go skiing <laughs> find that out should next be, week yeah that should be the teaser of every at least like previously on beverly hills 90210 and it's like of you know the season recap so it's like recapping season three before we go into season four and it's like you have to show a clip of donna either going skiing or why she did it yeah and we got both in this season i know that's true i i did take a little clip from the decider article that uh i referenced earlier because i feel like it sums up this episode just very well um I'm not as good as reading things as Mary. Let me go ahead and preface that. <laughs> it says, Awful as this episode was, 
If you've ever felt Brandon Walsh was an insufferable, moralizing prig, this is the episode for you. Since the show tends to adopt that viewpoint in casting him as the conservative slash square in horned glasses and in possession of a stink face that could have stopped Ho Chi Minh in his tracks. Every 60s trope is covered here. From drugs, 60s Kelly suffers a bad trip. To politics, 60s Dylan is a war protester that calls 60s Brandon a fascist. To fashion, I dare you to look at 60s Steve in his Nehru jacket for more than 15 consecutive seconds. This is the lowest common denominator of 60s nostalgia. They're not wrong. And that's just like some random review from like, I think like 2008 or something. Mm, Yeah. I mean, it's true. They include like, this episode includes everything that you typically think about when you think of the 60s. Because you got hippie Andrea, you got Vietnam War protesters, you've got like TV dinners. I mean, you've got the, the Samantha hair from bewitched you literally have everything that you can think like think about it back in elementary or middle school when we had decade day and you chose to go as a 60s what would you wear hippie clothing and peace signs and those glasses they even had the sunglasses because brenda wore the sunglasses uh at the um one of the protests yeah no okay so this uh article was like an on this day in tv from 2015 oh it's like it was literally just a random like I have to write an article about TV that aired on March 23rd. What do I do? It's as random as this podcast. <laughs> it's as random as this episode. Ugh. And like kind of to segue off of that, I have no idea what to do for my quote of the week. Like I don't, I don't think this is right, but I'm going to guess Donna with her sign saying, War is not healthy for children and other things. Mary, what you got? I agree with that. Um, I also want to nominate. You were collecting signatures for Bobby Kennedy at a Simon and Garfunkel concert (laughs) by Brandon Walsh. I mean, Will. Yeah. I loved that. Um, I'm seeing if I wrote anything else down. Yeah, a lot of what I wrote down was just like, random stuff like take one hit that's all i'm gonna do you don't even have to inhale with coughing in the distance um just an honorable mention to the one random who had a joint and was just like i have a joint and everyone's like oh my god is that real (laughs) (laughs) that was extremely like dazed and confused moments right there um But no, actually, my quote of the week was the amount of times that not Jim Walsh called not Dylan McKay a crumb bum. (laughs) (laughs) It made me think of my favorite Cards Against Against Humanity card, crumbs all over the goddamn carpet. (laughs) Just, this episode was wild, and I love it, and I really do, like, 10 out of 10. I, I want to watch it again. It almost I, I, made me it almost made me think of Brenda's dream when she was a paratrooper. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time I was in the war? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Rank Brenda's like dreams fantasy sequences out of these three. You've got 60s Brenda, wartime Brenda, and race car driver Brenda. I, I still have a thing for race car driver Brenda. 
So I'll probably go in order from like favorite to least favorite race car, 60s, wartime. I feel like I got to flip it. Yeah, I have to I have to do the same thing. Like I like race car the least. I like war and then 60s and then race car. Um, all right. What what is next week's episode because I really have to know if it is even going to remotely meet the joy that I had from this one. I don't think it will <laughs> because <laughs> I think this is truly like a filler like one-off episode. Um, but next week we have season four, episode 26, Blind Spot. I mean, it's got to be Crap. something of like, what? I just read the description. <laughs> no. Oops. Um, well, I'm still going to guess. I feel like it's going to be something where like, you know how they, people say like, I have a blind spot where this person is. So like that person can do bad things, but like, I just don't see it yeah. because I care so much about them. I think it's going to be that. And I feel like it's going to be something about Brenda and Dylan because that's apparently where we're going right now. Like Brenda, Dylan, Kelly, maybe. Mm-hmm. I was thinking we yeah, haven't thanks. heard from Suzanne in a while. <laughs> I forgot about her. You're so right. Suzanne and Erica. It, when was the last time we saw them? Hold on. It's been, it's been a been minute. A while. It's been at least three episodes, I think. She was mentioned in one a few back. Mm-hmm. She was mentioned because she's good with the books, business or something, but she can't not stack boxes in front of a heater or some shit. Right. Okay. So she was at least credited in season four, episode 19. Oof. We're in 25. So it's been six episodes, five episodes since we've seen her. Yeah. No, six. 20. Yeah. Six episodes. Yeah. Gosh. I, I predict that's what Suzanne. <laughs> that's, I feel like that's a fair prediction. That's a fair prediction. Um, well, yeah, I guess we'll find out next week. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, even though we're not really doing anything on Twitter right now, uh, at Back to Podcast. Yeah, and if you're on Twitter, maybe that will encourage us to do more on Twitter. But yeah, especially Instagram, we're, we're definitely lively there. <laughs> uh, but you can also send us an email. Sometimes that's a good form of communication, too. And let us know which Brenda episode with the, the dream aspect or just the fever dream aspect you like the best um, at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate review share subscribe you know all the different things that you can do in there um five star ratings and really good reviews like those are things that really help us get seen get us higher on the charts that other people can find us and you know continue the discourse so do that thing and we'll give you a shout out if you do yeah absolutely about the shout out thing and one thing i I was just thinking about with the emails i'm really curious all you dozens of listeners out there what TV shows do you currently watch? Um, what do you think of whenever you're watching Beverly Hills? Like what what comes to mind? And the reason I ask is because we make a lot of references to the same TV shows a lot. But, you know, like this episode, we mentioned This Is Us. And 
we've mentioned obviously Gilmore Girls, Buffy, uh, Boy Meets World, Full House, stuff like that in the past. So I'm actually just curious, like what other TV shows do you like? Because if we know about them or have watched them, maybe we can look for references in our episodes and talk about them. So yeah, just let us know. Yeah. And I mean, if we have totally missed a parallel that we should have picked up on before, hit us up. Let us know. For Um, sure. Call us out. Yeah. We love to be called out. We embrace it. (laughs) It's our favorite. (laughs) So we will talk to you next week. And until then, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm Peter the Traitor. I'm Will the Fascist. I'm Seth's mustache. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) See ya.